I cannot impress upon you enough, and I, and I do this for those of you who are younger, the, the significance that Mickey Mantle had on people of my generation. Um, I was raised in Ohio. I didn't get to New York till my 40s. But every night I'd go to sleep listening to the Cincinnati Reds play baseball. And whenever I could, and I would save my 20 cents or 25 cents when they went up, we would go to our little corner store, and my friends and I, and we would get baseball cards. And, you know, if we got Frankie Robinson, Cincinnati, that'd be great. If we got Ted Plazuski or Wally Post, um, that'd be outstanding. But if you got Mickey Mantle, and I never did, but if you got Mickey Mantle, I mean, that's like our answer to the lottery at that time. Of course, at that time, the baseball card business isn't like it is now, where it's just ridiculous. And I don't know what Mickey Mantle's rookie card goes for now. What a, what, a couple hundred grand or something like that? I don't know. It's, it's some kind of crazy number. I'm not sure what that is. And when I thought about it, and the first time I went to Yankee Stadium and I went to uh, Monument Park, I saw it on, on the monument for Mickey, um, and it, didn't, it just hit me. He played from 1951, I was one year old, to 1968. I graduated in high school in 1968. So you can see how people of my... This, this was in, you, in, the, in the 50s and early 60s when sports was just... You know, this is before Sports Center. You know, this is before ESPN. Sports and mainly baseball and a little bit of football just now coming on the scene. I mean, this was huge to us. So this again, you know, and that was before we learned about all the activities, extracurricular activities and so forth that would take place. And, you know, that was before the, the media would report things that, that they would report now. And we can argue whether or not um, um, they should or whatever. But, I mean, that's the thing about Mickey Mantle. I mean, for people of my generation, if they cared about sports or baseball at all, he was just, he's a cultural icon. And uh, my favorite baseball player, too. And I just, I just read this book. Mickey Mantle, America's Prodigal Son. And I'm, as, I read, as I was reading the book, I was like, gosh, I'm not sure why he was my favorite baseball player. Of course, I didn't know some of the things. And in the 1950s, I mean, you know, 58, I was 8 years old, 1962, 63, 12, 13. You don't know what carousing is. At least you didn't if you were raised in a cornfield in Ohio. And um, carousing's out picking corn at night where, you know, whatever. But... Um, let me just, I want to give you just a little more understanding of Mickey and, and, and before I get into what I, I'm very passionate about the verses that I want to show you from this. 56th season was one of his best. Um, and he, de- he demanded that his salary be doubled <laughs> to, to $65,000 a year. Um, that's 1956, okay? So I don't know what that would be today, but it'd be a lot. In response, General Manager George Weiss threatened to reveal the private eye reports of Mickey's adulterous affairs and unrestrained nightlife that had been accumulating over the past few years. Perhaps if the Mantle After Hours dossier had been used outside the context of contract negotiations, the embarrassing revelations might have had an impact on changing Mickey's ways, which is what he was trying to do. But in negotiating Mantle's 1956 contract in the wake of one of the best seasons in baseball history, Weiss, the GM, apparently went overboard threatening to trade Mantle as part of his negotiations. Co-owner Del Webb was not about to lose his franchise player, intervened on his star's behalf. Mantle wound up getting the $65,000 he wanted, and any leverage that Weiss might have had in curbing Mickey's nightlife was lost, and the inferno of celebrity and self-destruction uh, destructions just seductively beckoned. 
And it just kept going downhill from there. And there's a lot of stories we could do, and I'm not going to go through all these. I got, I got a lot of mind. I will tell you, Hank Bauer, one of his teammates at one time, um, tried to confront him as a big brother. And this is the type of thing. There was always, it's not just with Mickey, I might add, but there are always people who are there to enable us, aren't there? Hank Bauer went to talk to him, and he, Mickey was hung over from another late night uh, drinking binge. Bauer tried to give him the big brother talk, suggesting that he be more serious, stop abusing his body. Again, this was the famous statement that he said, My father died young, Mantle said, looking up at Dower through bloodshot eyes. I'm not going to be cheated. I'm not going to be cheated. Let me just flash forward to something Mickey said in 1994, one year before he, he died. Quote, Mickey Mantle talking now. After my, many health problems, not knowing yet that he was terminal, I owe so much to God and to the American people, he told reporters. I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to make it up. It seems to me like all I've done is take, have fun, and take. I'm going to start giving something back. I'd like to say to kids out there, if you're looking for a role model, this is a role model. Mickey, pointing to his chest with his thumb, don't be like me. God gave me a body and an ability to play baseball. God gave me everything, and I just kissed off his talents as he had much of his life. That's the other side of my boyhood hero, Mickey Mantle. But you know, God still has a way, and Mickey's story is an... I call him Mickey like he's my best friend. I guess you feel like that when you're a kid, huh? Uh, God has a way of having His redemptive work, work in people's lives. So I want to take you fast forward now to 1995, a year after the statement that I just read. 1995 in August, Mickey's died. I remember the day. I remember, the, I remember it well. I remember the funeral. I watched the funeral on tape delay that night. I'm not a real emotional guy. I cried. My boyhood hero, you know? And I think what brought most of the tears to my eyes was when, when Bobby Richardson began his eulogy at Mickey's funeral... It was uh, August 15th, 1995, Lover Lane Methodist Church. Been by there, actually. It's um, now toward north of Highland Park, if you know Dallas, and big church. And Lover Lane Methodist Church is where it was, and about 12, 1,500 people, plus a whole bunch of others outside with TVs and so forth. So, uh, closed circuit. Um, and this is, this, this is Bobby Richardson's words at that eulogy. Bobby Richardson, by the way, played second base for some of the years that Mickey Mantle was with the Yankees. Bobby Richardson was a second baseman. And um, Casey Stingle, the manager of the Yankees, used to say this about Bobby. He's the exact opposite of Mickey. He don't drink, he don't smoke, and he don't hit. <laughs> Which was true. He was more of a, more of a defensive guy. Um, and that was, uh, that was the kind of English that he would use. This is Bobby Richardson, who, who later became a very solid believer, follower of Christ, he, at that time, later on became a minister, Baptist minister, still is. And, and, and he, um, these are his words, and you can, he's, he's, a, he's a little Baptist, and you can hear that if you know Baptist, but that's okay. He's a, just a great person, has a great, uh, great heart for, for Christ and for people. But you can just listen, and you can pick up a little bit of that. Here's his, I'm going to use his words. You can follow along with me. It's from the eulogy. The next morning, I drove over to Baylor Hospital. Whitey Ford was just walking out at the time, and Mickey had really perked up with Whitey's visit. And as I walked in and went over to his bed, he had a smile on his face. And he looked at me, and the first thing he said was, Bobby, I've been wanting to tell you something. 
I want you to know that I've received Christ as my Savior. Well, I cried a little bit, I'm sure. And we prayed together. We had a prayer together. And then in a very simple way, I said, Mickey, I just want to make sure. And I went over God's plan of salvation with him, that, that God loved us and had a plan and a purpose and a plan for all of us and sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to shed his precious blood and promise in his word that if we repent of our sins and receive the Lord Jesus, that we might not only have everlasting life, but the joy of letting him live his life in us. He said, that's what I've done. Well, the big three came in that afternoon. That's Moose Gower and Hank Bauer and Johnny Blanchard. They had a wonderful visit again with Mickey. My wife and I came back later that afternoon, and I remember that Mickey was in bed, and he wanted to be in the reclining chair. David and Danny, his sons, and a couple of others, I think, helped him over. He was laughing then. When David grabbed him, he said, do you want to dance? But we sat in the chair. My wife, Betsy, sat down by him, and she shared her story of faith. And then she asked him a question. She says, Mickey, if God were here today, and you were standing before him, and he were to ask the question, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? And as quick as a flash, he said, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, and whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Isn't that incredible? You say, is that what you would call a deathbed conversion? Pretty close to it. Do those take? Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. And, and, and you know, here's the thing. As I said, Pascal, that quote, there is this God-created vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God, the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ. Augustine, St. Augustine put it this way, Thou hast created for thy, us for thyself. Thou hast created us for thyself. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. So what's the deal? Can I live any way that I want to live and then, and then come to faith in Christ? You can, absolutely. Now the verses that I want to show you, actually it's just a couple of verses, I'm going to show it to you in two different translations. But they were very significant in my life because like probably some of you, I came up in a situation where I was told, trust God or you're going to hell. You know, all right, it's more like, you're going to hell. Yeah, got to get the emphasis in the right syllable there. Um, and you know, while I believe there's a place called hell, and I believe there's a literal place called heaven, uh, for a young guy, and even a guy who still considers himself young, um, it's kind of hard to think about the future like that. So this passage, when I first discovered it, was really significant to me. This is all related to what we're talking about. Just stay with me a minute here. Let me show you. This comes from the Gospel of John. It's chapter 10. It's Jesus talking. He says, Yes, I am the gate. Those who come to me, those who come in through me will be saved. Wherever they go, they will find green pastures. Their thief's purpose, the thief could be anybody, anything. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give life in all its fullness. My purpose is to give life in all its fullness. Let me show that to you in a 
what they call the message paraphrase, great Bible. I am the gate. Anyone who goes through me will be cared for, will freely go in and out and find pasture. A thief is only there to steal, kill, and destroy. I came so that you can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. Here's what I want you to see. The central message of Jesus is not about hell. It's about life. Now. Does that include the future? Yes. But it's about life now. And somehow, too many times, we've lost that message. And yet, that's the central message of Christ. Don't miss that part. And it's interesting, isn't it, that we talk about being cheated. Mickey I may die young. I don't want to get cheated. Isn't it interesting? The things that he was concerned about being cheated of were the things that cheated him the most. really is. As he later admitted. C.S. Lewis said this, God cannot give us a happiness and a peace apart from himself because it's not there. There's no such thing. This is a great quote from a book I've been reading by McLaren. And, 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 and again, there's certainly a literal place called hell. There's a literal place called heaven. I have a lot of questions about both. I don't know, I don't know exactly what heaven's going to be like. Um, and I'm a very curious kind of guy. You know, I have a lot of... I, I've gotten in trouble at times because I was too curious. There's one thing I'm not really too curious about. I do in terms of my reading and theological studies, but I don't really... I, I'm really curious about hell, but I don't want to know, you know, I don't, I don't want to go find out is basically what I'm telling you there. You know, just, just let, let, let that, I don't know whether it's a lake of fire or whether it's eternal separation from God or, which is just, I, I don't know if you can imagine that. Eternal separation from anything like God. That's dark. That's terrible. Aside from that, here's a great quote from a book that I've been reading that talks about some of the words that describe hell. So, so don't they all suggest waste, decay, regret, and sorrow? Isn't that what anyone would feel if he spent his whole life on accumulating possessions or wealth or knowledge or power, but missed out on life to the full in the kingdom of God? He would have wasted his life. He would have failed to become the glorious person he could have become and instead became, became become something crabby and cramped and ingrown and dark and shabby and selfish. Wouldn't that make you weep and gnash your teeth? Isn't a dump Perfect imagery to use for that kind of waste? That's one of the words Jesus used in describing hell, a dump. There were many words, but that was one of them. I think that describes it right there. And, and the thing that we need to understand about this is the central message of Christ was about life now. What, what, what did he say when they asked him what's the most important thing? They said, teacher, what's the most, and the Pharisees and Sadducees are trying to tell what's the most important thing? He said, it's really very simple. Love God and love people. That was it. Get that one down. <laughs> yeah. You know, one of the messages that comes from this story of Mickey is it's never too late. I, I, just, I have to say this, you know that. and It's important. It's never too late. You're never too bad to come to Christ. And if you think, well, I need to, you know, many times I've had people say, well, you know, I want to come to church. 
Um, but, but, you know, I need to clean up my life first, and my response is always, you know, why don't you just come to church? You know, let's don't, we're not going to wait on you to clean up your life. I want you to clean up your life, but not to come to church. It's okay. However dirty you are, there'll be somebody there dirtier anyway, figuratively speaking. Well, maybe literally too, but figuratively speaking. You know, and, and sometimes we think we have to do that, not for church, but for God. It's never too late, you're never too bad to come to Christ. Another thing that really hits me about this whole thing is this. God's way is really the quality of life way. We talk about quality of life. And then we get into our lying and deceiving and cheating and, and, and whatever else goes along with all of that. And God's way really is the best quality of life. I don't know how that gets, that gets lost. That's what Jesus is talking about in this passage. Also, you know, it's, it's interesting. You know, you ever, we, we hear this thing today a lot about regrets. Oh, I don't have any regrets. No, the, the song, you know, Elvis and Frank Sinatra both did it. You know, regrets, I have a few. You know, I didn't know I could do that, did you? Um, <laughs> still don't, do you? Um, <laughs> you know that song, regrets, I have a few, but then again, too few to mention. Hey, here's one guy who has more than a few regrets, Okay. And if we're honest, there's a lot of us here with some regrets. And every time we look at those regrets, almost every time, you know what they are? They're times when we didn't do things God's way. We cheated or we lied. We deceived. We took a shortcut that we shouldn't have taken, figuratively speaking. Isn't it interesting that the regrets of life are those regrets almost all the time that we didn't do things God's way? That's why Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. No, and that's, that's the thing when, when you, the, the, the thing with Mickey. I mean, it's like he was there. You know, and he says, I had it and I just, I just blew it away. The things that we're so often cheated of or we think we're going to be cheated of when we're sometimes young, maybe not so young, are things that often just really cheat us of life's value. One of the things that in, in my on my resume uh, way back when was I used to be a youth pastor. Excuse me. I used to be a youth pastor. And now, I know that's going to be really, you guys are like, look at me, I was a youth pastor. Um, that was back in the day when we called the guy who worked with high school kids the youth pastor. We, of course, today are much more sophisticated, much more educated. We call it a director of student ministries. And whenever I say youth pastor, I hear it from our director of student ministries, Mr. John Brocious. He tells me, that sounds so, I want to tell you, geeky, uh, and, and a number of other things. Um, but anyway, whatever it is, that's what I did. And I was a youth pastor. And I didn't tell you this part. I was one. I was a, I was a great youth pastor. And part of it was because I thought I was a youth. And uh, I still have those thoughts from time to time. But I, was, I, had a, I had a great time with the kids. But one of the things the kids used to always ask me, and really, since I've, I've been a pastor for a lot of years too, and I still get this, and I often get it from teenagers, sometimes people in their early 20s, but I used to get it a lot in, 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 in quote-unquote youth group, as we called it, is you mean to tell me that I can live any way I want to live? I can hear this now. I can see kids say, I, I, I can live any way I want to live. And then before I die, just ask Jesus to, to come into my heart and into my life and, and I'll go to be with Christ. Can I do that? Absolutely, you can do that. Really? Well, why don't I just do that? I said, well, you got a couple problems. 
First of all, you don't know when you're going to die. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is a minor problem. I said, secondly, what makes you think that is so much better? So here's what I did one time. And I was, I was, I was, that's him. I was, I was a pastor at this point and I had a good friend. I still have a good, he's still a good friend. And he, he, um, he's older than me and, and just done a number of businesses. It's highly successful, just cra- crazy successful. And, um, he's one of those guys that got, got, I said caught, got kind of messed up in the uh, savings and loan thing back in the early nineties. Uh, they ended up taking like, I don't know, 80% of his, of his, of his wealth and, <laughs> The 20% that he had left was just crazy. He still had more than most all of us will ever have four or five lifetimes. So anyway, but he owned two or three different casinos in Las Vegas. And all that went with that, if you catch what I mean by that. And, um, and, and so I went to him and I told him what one of these young, couple of these young people had asked me. I said, I need you to come in and talk to him sometime. So he came in and he had long since come to faith in Christ and all of the heartache, all of the regrets, and of course, all of the, I mean, just had a trail behind him of broken people and used relationships and, and the whole thing that he was, knew were wrong and he was still trying to make good on some of those things. He's a great, great guy and just really, really had a dramatic change in his life. So he came and talked to the kids, high school kids. He says, now, what makes you think that living the way you want to live like that is so great after all. He says, let me tell you about it. I've done it. I've done it all. He started just talking about some of the broken relationships over his life over and over and over again and and the pain and the hurt and the regret that he had now. He said, so I don't know who's telling you that this quote-unquote party lifestyle is so great, but I'm here to tell you I've done it and it still hurts. See, that's the misnomer here that gets missed for those of us who've been raised in situations or maybe have maybe just different impressions that to be a follower of Christ means I don't have any fun and it's got, you know, it's a, it's a whole bunch of, of can't-dos and, and, and there's no real freedom. And, and it's just the exact opposite of that. The regrets of life are most always the things that are not honoring to God as well. And we need to understand that. And you know, the benefits, the huge benefits of being a follower of Christ, those are the same things that are held up as as things that are valued in our society. Things like being selfless, sharing, loving your neighbor, honoring people, just being courteous, courteous, biblical values. All part of when you understand what it means to follow Christ, these are things that hopefully, if you're where you should be in your relationship with God, that will follow. The central message of Christ. Take this with you. The central message of Christ is not about hell. It's there. Is it about heaven? Yeah. But the central message of Christ is now. And he's saying, not only am I going to give you eternal life, I'm going to give you full life now. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. So we can learn from this. Don't miss that. Let me pray and just ask God to impress that upon our hearts and minds. Ask the band to come on up. God, we are thankful for these things. This is so important. God, I pray that we'd be able to understand it. I pray that we would connect with 
what that means in our own life. God, I pray that the Spirit of God would just deal with each of us in our own lives, in our own faith journeys of life. God, I pray we thank you that Jesus came, lived, suffered, died, rose again to give us life, not just eternally, but for right here and right now. For some of us right now, God, that may mean right where we're sitting, just saying, God, I just want to put my trust in you. I want to ask you into my life, into my heart right now. For some of us, that may mean I just want to continue on that faith journey. I want to continue and grow deeper in what that means and, and, and more consistent in my walk, my relationship with my Creator, with my God. Wherever we are, God, I pray that you would... Uh, you would deal with us each individually. I pray that in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.